0: I would draw your attention back to God's holy word found in Ephesians 3 this morning. Ephesians 3. We'll be reading Ephesians 3 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to meet together as, uh, as members of the body, the body of Christ as the body of Christ that was purchased with His own blood according to the will and the plan of God the Father and revealed to us through the Spirit that He is the Savior. We thank You for the work of Christ. We thank You for all these things that we've been looking at in Ephesians that He has done for us, that all these things are done that we might be to the praise of your glory. Lord, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in making these things known to us, the Spirit that instructs us from your word a spirit that enlightens us, a spirit who in our regeneration has done this this work in us, Lord, that, that we've been made new creatures. That heart that was at enmity to You, that heart that we read of that was a stony heart, has been replaced with one that is of flesh, one that is able to uh, see you for what you are in light of what we are as sinful men and women, lost, alienated, but yet by the work of Christ and revealed to us through the Spirit and His work, we've been brought near. We've been made sons. We've been made heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Lord, we have need of Your help here this morning through the Spirit that we might understand and know and discern Your Word. Lord, open it up to us this morning. Lord, it's Your words that we long to hear. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think it's safe to say that most of us enjoy a good mystery, don't we? Something almost anybody can say that they enjoy is a a good mystery. Whether it's a novel or a movie, either one. Uh, What we enjoy so much about it is the fact that we get a chance to try and figure things out, right? That's often the case with a mystery is, you know, we start and we know there's something out here that we've got to figure out, that we've got to to uh, try and, and and figure out what happens in the end. We try and do that before we get to those closing chapters of a book or the closing moments of, of a movie. So we do this by attempting to use deductive reasoning or investigation. You know, uh, this is what I, I do for a living. and uh, We try and and deduce or infer things from other things that we know. Um, to guess at or to resolve the mystery that's that's in front of us based on these clues once again before we get to the point that the author reveals what that mystery is Uh, i believe that's why we enjoy these mysteries so much is it gives us a chance to do that there are some mysteries though that are a little bit more difficult than others Uh, more often than not these seem to be real life type mysteries And the solutions are difficult to arrive at by a way of deduction or investigation because there are often clues and hints that are extremely obscure and difficult to see. Sometimes these things are so difficult to understand that the author themselves must be the ones that reveal how these things have taken place in a way that gives us understanding of what it is that this mystery is leading up to. This is the case, I believe, here in our text uh, that we'll see this morning, where Paul speaks of the mystery in verses 3, 4, and 5 of Ephesians 3 here. I know there are things that we've we've talked about uh, before here and dealt with from chapter 2 in, in particular, but remember here that Paul is building upon a foundation. He is building up the structure, block upon block or brick upon brick. And a lot of these bricks make up the same wall in this building that he is building upon, giving us tidbits of this information as he goes along, unfolding for us this eternal plan of redemption as we see it in Ephesians. And what in light of that redemption is the case for our lives, individually, but collectively as a whole as the church. So he's building this structure to show us something that is crucial to us seeing rightly the purpose and plan of God being carried out from before the foundation of the world all the way through to the end of all things when he returns and brings all things together. Isn't that what we've seen in Ephesians 1 as we've been studying in Ephesians 2 on through to where we are now? Look at Ephesians 1 verses 3 and 4 where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. all the way through to what he declares to us as the fullness of time. Look in verse 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. Making known to us, so from before the foundation of the world, up to making known to us the mystery of his will, ties in very well with our text this morning. The mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ... As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then further on through the last part of verse 13 of Ephesians 1. If you look down at verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. As we have said before, there is a portion of the inheritance that has already been abundantly bestowed upon us, given to us but there's something even yet to come. That time when these mortal bodies shall put on immortality. That time when these old fleshly bodies with the remainders of indwelling sin that have been put in the ground upon death will one day rise again and be made into something totally new, glorified. So we see all the way from before the foundation of the world to now, The fullness of time when Christ came, till now, until glory. So you see, Paul is building and building on what God is doing in revealing Himself and making this plan known in and through Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God enlightening and revealing until all things are brought to completion. Paul is desirous that we would see these things. That we would see them, that we would understand them, that we would know them as he is showing them to us. Let me use another illustration uh, to kind of get at where, where we're hopefully going to be going today. Have, have any of you ever heard of uh, perceptual artwork? Has anybody ever heard of that? So it, it, it's a fascinating art, uh, perceptual art. The main artist in this field, he's fairly well known. I don't think I have a single thing in common with him as far as my understanding and worldview of things. To my knowledge, this man is not a Christian and doesn't subscribe to any type of biblical worldview. But nonetheless, he's an extremely talented artist. And what he does... He builds his art in such a manner that when you first look at it, it appears to be nothing more than a jumbled mass of, of nothing. Uh, trash, meaningless objects that are strung from a ceiling by, by wires or by strings. And you're looking at it and all you see is this, just this mass of junk. He's done this with several different things. One of which, uh, everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. He took the shape of Michael Jordan's shoes through the year and years and he's got these suspended from a ceiling at the Nike facility Chicago or wherever it is. I don't pay that much attention to sports and stuff anymore, but uh, he's got these things suspended. And it looks like just a jumbled mess of gold-plated metallic objects. But when you're taken from the point at which you first view it and you're placed in one singular spot that is intended for you to look at this by the artist, you see a masterpiece. The chaos that you saw from one view becomes this amazing piece of art. It may be the shape of the United States or in the case of Michael Jordan's shoes, when you look at it over here, it's all a mumbled, jumbled mess of, of metal and you come over to the other side and you see the perfect figure of the jump man, that, that emblem that Michael Jordan uses, shoes, clothes, whatever it is. It, it transforms into that. When you go from the spot where you're viewing it And you are placed at that one spot on the ground, the only spot at which you can look at this artwork and you can see what the artist intended you to see. We have a great masterpiece in God's Word. And Paul is telling us this morning that he's going to reveal something about and had revealed to him something about this mystery of the gospel, this mystery of Christ. So let's for a moment try and and take a look at this and behold the glory of God in the plan of redemption, purposed from eternity, to bring us to the spot where we can behold the glory as it is in Jesus Christ. As we start here, we've got to back up. And I would encourage you, because this is a, this, Ephesians is building block upon block here. If you haven't heard some of the earlier messages and want to, go back and listen to them. We, we'll tell you after the service or get with anybody. We can tell you where you can listen to these because it is truly building block upon block in revealing this eternal redemption, this plan of eternal redemption that God has purposed. But we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 6 this morning. But I want to back up just a little bit to verse 2 of Ephesians 3, when we read, assuming, in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. What Paul is saying is more a manner of him not saying assuming that you have heard, but since you have heard. Paul is not doubting that they have not heard of his stewards, the stewardship that's been given to him. Nor is he saying that they may have heard how this mystery was made known to him or revealed to him, but he is saying since you have heard. And here in the last part of verse 3... He even includes, as I have written briefly. There is some debate going on that this, is, this, as I have written briefly, is regarding another letter that Paul wrote to this church. And I have no doubt that Paul wrote many letters to the churches, some of which we do not have in existence today. But I don't think that's the case here. I think what he's referring to, as I have written briefly, is that which he's already stated in this letter. He's already made known to them his insight in what he has written through chapter 1 and further in and, and much more detail in verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2, which we looked at recently. He has already written to them concerning these things, not to mention, I am sure that every person that was a recipient of this letter here at the church of Ephesus and beyond had probably heard Paul's conversion story. This was something that would have shocked the area around this where there were a great number of Jews and Gentiles who had heard about this Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee, a persecutor of the Jews, who became a follower, excuse me, a persecutor of the Christians, a Jewish persecutor of the Christians, who became a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul then says something by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that is very important for us to understand. Look at verse 3 of our text. Carrying through the thought of since you have heard... Since you have heard or or assuming that you have heard how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. In verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. The Holy Spirit is telling us here through Paul that Paul was not the author. He was not the inventor of this revelation regarding this mystery. He was not even the one to use terms that we have talked about briefly uh, just a few minutes ago. He was not the one that by his own power of deductive reasoning or investigation arrived at his conclusion and understood this mystery. Paul was not the source of understanding here. He says it was made known to him by revelation. Now, if anyone was wise enough or learned enough, to understand the mystery, it would have been Paul, right? We see in Scripture Paul reasoning with these philosophical giants of his day, arguing with them, debating with them, opening up to them the Scriptures with wisdom, insight, but yet Paul doesn't say here he figured this out. Turn with me to Acts 22. So back a few books to Acts 22. Between John and Romans, Acts 22. We looked at this section uh, and the one preceding it, I believe, last week. And here we find something of the brilliance of Paul. And I'll explain here. Acts 22, verse we have recorded here what Paul is speaking to some of these Jews here and he says I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia but brought up in the city educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God As all of you are this day. Paul was instructed at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the most learned and respected Pharisees of his day. And he was instructed at his feet. He learned from him. He learned at his feet. Acts 5.34 says... But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. This was a man that was highly esteemed among the Jews, and Paul learned from him. That would, like, that would be like us doing an internship in our field of study with the person who was the expert in the world. That was who Gamaliel was in terms of understanding and knowing the Old Testament from a Jewish perspective. This is the same Gamaliel who, right after that passage there in Acts 5:34, they had arrested the apostles. You remember last week when we when we spoke of this, how that Peter and the apostles answered them when they told them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, that it. That's for you to, to, to discover or to, to decide, but as for us, we're going to obey God rather than men. And Gamaliel, right after that, said, Be careful, brothers, to, the, to his fellow Pharisees. Be careful. There's been people raised up that have claimed to be the Messiah before, and they've all died and fallen away. And if that's the case, these men will go away too. He had some wisdom. He had some understanding to know a few things. Well, Christ died, but he rose again. This was a message that they couldn't keep quiet. But that's the same Gamaliel. And it was him, it was Gamaliel that Paul learned from. And keeping it with Acts 22, what did he learn? What did all of this learning do for Paul? What did it do for him? What did all of his human knowledge and insight and reasoning lead Paul to do? Apart from revelation, Paul and his wisdom, Paul and his own understanding did what? Well, what does he say? Acts 22 verse 4, carrying on. After he says, I was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Acts 22, verse 4 and 5, I persecuted this way. Now this way is the people who followed Christ. They were known as people of the way before they were called Christians. They were known as people of the way. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. So the people who followed him... Were known as people of the way, and Paul said, I persecuted this way to death. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. They knew who Paul was. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. To be punished for what? To be punished for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had no knowledge of by his own wisdom and by his own understanding. He actually went out and arrested those who were preaching and teaching this gospel. But something happened outside of Paul's wisdom and human understanding. Something happened that was outside of Paul himself. Look at verse 6 of Acts 22. We'll read through verse 15. Acts 22, verse 6. As I, Paul was saying... As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, and what was he doing when he was going to Damascus? He was going to bind and place these people in jail and punish them for being followers of Jesus Christ. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, that was Paul's, Paul's name, before we refer to him as Paul in the Scripture, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Because these people that Paul was persecuting were in Christ, They were members of the body of Christ. When they were being persecuted, Jesus tells Paul, Why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Now those who are with me, Paul said in verse 9, saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of all by all the Jews who lived there came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. To see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you... Will be a witness for me for, for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. Paul received this by revelation. Paul Paul saw Christ, was commissioned by Christ himself on the road to Damascus which made him an apostle of Christ Jesus to speak of that which he had been shown, that which had been revealed to him by Christ himself. He is making sure that his readers know and understand without a doubt that is not of him and his own wisdom and understanding. Christ struck him down blinded him to all that Paul could take in with his own eyes and his own wisdom and gave him something else to see by way of revelation. His human wisdom did not ever arrive at the understanding of this mystery of Christ. In fact, when Christ asked Paul, why are, you, "Why are you persecuting me?" In another place, in Acts 26:14, when Paul is talking about his conversion experience, he, we read, "And when we, when we had all fallen to the ground, those that were walking on the road to Damascus with him and, and him, he heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language, Paul says, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats." A goad was that stick that would be used to prod oxen to get them to do their work. And he's asking Paul, why are you kicking against this? Why, why, are, why are you persecuting me and kicking against the goads? You're going against that which I am going to reveal to you. This is something that Paul never would have seen in the flesh. It had to be revealed to him. He then states in verse 4 of Ephesians 3. Back in Ephesians 3 and verse 4. When you have read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. When we read what Paul said in chapter 2, 11 through 13 that we dealt with a few weeks ago. Paul's listeners and readers would be able to see Paul was given insight into this mystery of who Christ is. Something that he would not and could not believe when left to his own understanding. He persecuted Christ. He didn't see Christ for who he was, the Savior, the Messiah. He didn't see Christ in his own understanding, in his own wisdom. Had to be revealed to him what the purpose, who Christ was, and what the purpose that God had in sending God the Son into this world, born in the likeness of human flesh, what he sent him here for. To make peace. To break down that middle wall, that dividing wall of hostility that we read about in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, in abolishing this law, the law of ordinances, creating in himself one new man out of the two, reconciling both to God, not separately, but together through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, killing the hostility that was between God and man, and also between Jew and Gentile. We've dealt with this. The the great hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile hated each other with a hatred that I don't think we can imagine between two groups of people today. It It was severe. And he killed the hostility between them. Reconciling them both to himself... To the to, to God, to each other through the cross of cross of Christ, the insight that was revealed to Paul, the understanding to proclaim the mystery of Christ who was who preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near, giving access to both in one spirit, to the Father, taking the stranger that we talked about, that alien, that stranger to the Commonwealth of Israel, making them fellow citizens and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being that chief cornerstone, joining all together into a temple, into a dwelling place. The the body of Christ, the church being the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Do you see Paul's insight here? Not of himself, but by revelation. In verse 5, Paul goes on to say, Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery, going to tell us what it is here, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There was a veil. Remember what we read Second 2 Corinthians? Earlier in our scripture reading. There's something new for us here. There is a new covenant revelation of the plan and the purpose of God. And Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were hardened for to this day. When they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. If you go talk to the Jews today over there in Israel those that are not Messianic Jews, those Jews who don't believe in Christ, there is still a veil. Still. Hardened hearts today because they've not had this revelation. It's not been revealed to them. I pray one day that that veil is lifted. Hebrews tells us that Christ is the mediator or the high priest of a new covenant built on better promises. A better covenant built on better promises. This hidden veil, this was hidden behind a veil, so to speak, and not made known in other generations, but has now been made known to the holy apostles and prophets, those chosen and set apart in Christ to proclaim the mystery that has been revealed to them by the Spirit. The mystery of Christ's work on the cross has made in Himself. He has made in Himself, in Christ, one new man in the place of two. Is that not what we read earlier in Ephesians 2 when we went through that portion of Scripture? He builds upon that theme here in the third chapter of Ephesians, that God through the Spirit has now revealed this mystery hidden from these previous generations that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. It had been hinted at, there were hints of it in the previous generations, but it was not revealed in this manner. There are so many passages in the Old Testament pointing to this, but it's veiled. It's that veil that we read about earlier. It was veiled. Often the term nations in the Old Testament is equal to Gentiles. You had had things in terms of the the nations outside of Israel. So there was Israel and there were the nations. Those outside of Israel and those in, in Israel. In speaking to Abram, if you remember back, let's look at a few of these. And if you want to write them down, if you're note takers, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because I want to get to several of them. If you want the list at some point, let me know. I'll give you the list of of these passages, and you can go look them up yourself and read them later again. But in speaking to Abram, when God called him, in Genesis 12.3, this is the hint. This is the, the veiled declaration of what's what Paul is talking about here. He says to Abram, God does, I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor, uh, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Hinted at, not fully revealed. Again in Genesis 18:18. 18, 18, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Genesis 26, 4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. That's a multitude, is it not? I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth, excuse me, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Again, in Genesis 28, 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, I want to look. This is not the end of this list, but I want to look at a couple New Testament verses that make reference to these from the Old Testament. Galatians 3.8 says, And Scripture, listen, and Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In Revelation 7:9, one of my favorite passages, you all know this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, numbered like the stars in the heavens, like the dust of the earth, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. All nations are blessed in the seed, the offspring of Abraham, who is Christ Jesus. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 11.10 in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious isaiah forty six excuse me forty two six through seven I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. A few chapters later in Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too light, is it? It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. New Testament use of that. Acts thirteen forty-seven. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I made you, that is you Jews, I made as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Back to Isaiah 52.10, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 54, 1-3, through 3, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, You who have not been in labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of he who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, be the, and will people the desolate cities. Listen to how Paul in Galatians uses this. Paul in Galatians 4.27 says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Isaiah 56, 3-7 Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the right things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servant, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Hinted at. Amos 9.11 In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Acts 15. 16-18 through 18. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Now that God has revealed these things through the Spirit, and these things have been proclaimed, do you see the mystery that Paul is talking about here that has now been revealed? Much different than that which was expected. Much different. These things were viewed as having a veil over them in the Old Testament. Most Jews were expecting a savior, a king who would physically conquer, conquer the nations that had subjected them, the Gentiles that had subjected them, a king that would physically conquer and rule over them with an iron fist, demolishing their their enemies, never once realizing the real king, the savior, Jesus Christ, would come to conquer hearts and draw all men, including the Gentiles, unto himself, making them, Jews and Gentiles, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, making them one. They thought that any inclusion of these heathens these Gentiles, these, these out, those that are outside the faith, they thought that any inclusion by the nations would be by them submitting to them and being subject to all that was outwardly observed, never once realizing that God was creating something totally new. A new man in the place of two. Not making these nations, the Gentiles, into that which was Jewish, but bringing them into, all of them into not Israel, but Jesus Christ. Meditate, look again, all through Ephesians 1 in Christ, in Christ in Christ over and over and over again. This is how He's accomplishing this. He's taking Jew and Gentile and putting them into Christ before the foundation of the world. Did Christ Himself not say that He's the vine? Did He not? We're the branches? Unless we abide in Him, we don't bear fruit we abide because we are joined to him it's not gentiles being united to jews or jews being gentiles being made into gentiles it's not not being made into something else except being made into christ that's what this is all about christ is the head isn't that what paul already told us in ephesians He's been he's been given to be the head of the church, the people of God, the body. It's my understanding from several sources that in this passage here in Ephesians three, six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's my understanding that there is a prefix on the words, the three words here used in in the Greek. I won't go into what that prefix is. I don't speak Greek, um, but several sources have brought this out, that it's, it's a prefix that means together. And so what this, is, what this verse is literally saying is that Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. This is truly the gospel. This is good news. It's great news for us who are not Jewish. It's great news for the Jews who rejected Christ, that their hope may be found in Him just as our hope is found in Him. Good news to those who have been redeemed. Good news to those who are still lost and dying. Still outside, still aliens and strangers to the covenant. God had a plan before the foundation of the world. God has been, is now, and is going to be working to bring all His plan through to completion. Christ has come and He has accomplished all that was required on behalf of sinful man. He shed His blood. He made atonement. He reconciled. He is even now making intercession for us. And the Spirit has revealed this purpose and given light to that which was a mystery. This is not something that was discovered by human intellect or wisdom. It was discovered by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And its purpose can be counted on. It can be believed because the foundation is solid and sure. Because it's built, it has been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets, those that are set apart to share this. And it's all according to Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Chosen by God, revealed to us, and built upon that foundation to be believed upon, relied upon, hold fast to that which has been revealed to us, and proclaim it to a lost and dying world. It's the only way. It's the only way. There is no other. Christ told us that, right? I am the way. There was a reason they were called people of the way. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray that You will uh, use Your Word, Lord, to strengthen us, to feed us. Lord, give assurance to those who are saved through it. And Lord, give hope and light and revelation through your word, through the working of the Spirit in it to those who are lost. Lord, that this truth might be revealed to them that Christ is the way. That this was all done in Christ. We thank you for his work. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for the blood of Christ which washes away our transgression, our iniquities, our sin and gives us the ability to stand before a holy and righteous God, not in our own righteousness, but the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank You. In Your name we pray. Amen.